everybody. We are currently in the middle of a series called Stories of Old, and we are examining some of the great stories of the Old Testament, and the one we will look at today, uh, we just saw the ending of. And in that ending, there's Moses as this triumphant, victorious hero over the Egyptian foes. And what's really cool is that when you study the New Testament, you see that Moses was, in fact, this Jewish-Israelite Hero. I mean, when they refer to the first five books of the law, they refer to it as the law of Moses. When the Jewish people are angry with Jesus, they end up quoting one man usually, and that man is Moses. Jesus talks about Moses, and not only does he talk about Moses, he also talks with Moses on a mountain while he's alive. That's a big deal. I mean, anybody that gets to come back from heaven and hang out with Jesus is like a really big deal in the scope of history. And we read in Acts 6.1, this is really interesting, then they killed the very first Christian martyr as we know it. And so they're saying, look, not only uh, is he they're blaspheming against God, but also against Moses, and we can't have it, and we must kill this man. And then in Hebrews chapter 3, we see that there's a section of Scripture that literally needs to be there to explain that Jesus was greater than Moses. Now, nobody's ever written anything like that about me. I mean, nobody has ever like written an essay saying, here's three points on, on why Chad's not as great as Jesus, right? Because I'm not that big a deal. But Moses was that big a deal, and it's mainly because of what we just saw, that he brought his people out of Egypt, the Israelites, and he had this victorious moment and became this great leader. But today, what I want to look at, since we already saw the ending, is how that ending came to be. And and I think what we'll see is a little bit surprising. It's a little bit shocking because while Moses is seen as this great figure in history that's almost perfect, almost Jesus-like, almost God-like, in his story we find something totally different. Moses is a guy like you and me. The story begins that the Jewish people have become so numerous in Egypt through the years that the Pharaoh, the new king in town, dislikes them. And if you were to go back to the last time we did a a sermon in this series, we talked about a man named Joseph. And we saw that Joseph was sold into slavery in Egypt. And very long story short, his family ended up coming over because Joseph rose up to second in power in all of Egypt. And his family, 70 of them, and all moved there. And so what happens is in about 325-ish years, this family just becomes super prosperous. They have the best land in Egypt. They start having babies like crazy. They're like worse than our church. Uh, I mean, babies are just coming out all over the place apparently. And there's like hundreds of thousands of them uh, 325-ish years later. And they're so prosperous that the new king who didn't know who didn't know Joseph at all who had no friends that were Jewish people is like these people if we ever go to war will fight against us and we will lose he says here's what we're going to do we are going to treat them harshly we will make them our slaves and so he does And the Jewish people continue to prosper. They continue to grow. They continue to grow in number and in wealth. And and it just continues to be apparent that they are blessed 
by God. And so he says to the midwives, he says, hey, I want you to kill every male newborn that's born from the Jewish line. And the midwives feared God, the Bible tells us, and so they refused to do it, and they make something up. They say, you know, these, these Jewish women just have their babies so fast, which is just not a great lie. I mean, they, I, I feel like they could have come up with something better. But Pharaoh, because of the blessing of God, buys it. And, and so he says, this is, this is what has to happen. I will make an edict. I will make a command all over the country that every Jewish family must throw their newborn sons into the Nile River, must kill them. There's one baby who's born, and the mom looks at, at her baby, and, and like all mothers, I guess, says, this baby is special. This baby is born for greatness. And so she hides him. She disobeys. She puts her own life on the line for the sake of this baby. And she hides him for three months. But babies get louder, as we know at this church. Uh, and, and, and so eventually she can't hide him anymore. And so she builds a little papyrus basket. And she puts him on the Nile River. Now I want you to think about this. The Nile River, it looks about, in most places, about like the Willamette. It's really long and it's really important, and so it's more famous than the Willamette. But, but in most places, it, it kind of looks like the Willamette River. Now, now picture putting a three-month-old baby, three-month, the age of Landon, if you know Landon in this church, a three-month-old baby into a basket and then floating them down the river. You think your baby's dead and gone, right? I mean, this is your goodbye. This is the last hope. This is a desperate act. You're just thinking maybe somehow, some way, possibly something good could happen. But I'm saying goodbye to my kid now. I just can't kill him myself. But God had a different idea, and that baby doesn't die. Instead, one day, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, his very own daughter is down in the Nile River bathing. I told you it wasn't like the Willamette. Nobody would think to bathe in the Willamette. Uh, and, and she looks out and she sees this baby in this papyrus basket. She gets it. She has one of her attendants get it. And they bring it to her. And she says, this is one of the Hebrew babies. This is a Jewish baby, an Israelite baby. And so she has pity on him. And then uh, just this crazy thing happens, and, and I don't know how it happens, but it tells us that, that this baby's sister is, is watching the baby. And then it says that when Pharaoh's daughter says, hey, I, I have pity on this baby, the sister, this baby's very own sister says, hey, I could go get one of the Jewish women to nurse the baby for you. And somehow, some way, only I think by the providence of God, Pharaoh's daughter says, yes, good idea. And this baby's sister goes and gets this baby's mother, and the mother comes to her baby that she had just recently put in the Nile and nurses him. Pharaoh's daughter names that baby Moses. You just saw a picture of him on screen. And we know Moses, but today I want to look at his story. Because Moses grows up, and unlike the movie by Steven Spielberg, the Bible tells us that Moses did not look at himself as an Egyptian. In fact, you read in Hebrews 11, where we're kind of taking our passages from and, and, and really just looking at kind of these ideas of faith that we see in Hebrews 11, it says that Moses refused to be like the Egyptians, but instead chose to be one of his own people. He chose not to be recognized as an Egyptian. And so we see that Moses grows up knowing 
unlike the Prince of Egypt movie. He knows that he's a Jewish person, and he identifies with the Jewish people, and he refuses to take on the luxuries, minus maybe the education, of the Egyptian people that he could have had by being, in essence, the grandson of the king of the really greatest, the greatest country in the whole wide world at the time. So Moses grows up. One day he looks and he sees that an Egyptian person is beating a Jewish slave. And Moses, in a moment of rage, moment of anger, we don't really know, he kills him. It's premeditated murder. I mean, that's, that's the truth of this story. Uh, it's not what we would like it to be as we look back and say, well, Moses is a hero in the New Testament. Moses commits premeditated murder. The book of Exodus says he looked around, saw that nobody was looking, then he killed the man. I mean, this is not just we got in a fight and he accidentally died. This is I'm angry. This guy needs to pay. There's nobody looking. I'll kill him. And then he buries the body in the sand. A little while later, he sees two Jewish people fighting. He goes up to him and he says, hey, you guys need to stop fighting. You're, you're related. You're of the same country. You're of the same people. You're of the same family line. What is going on here? And they look at him. And they say, oh, are you our judge? Are you going to kill me too, like you did that Egyptian guy? And Moses knows that he's found out. And it says, unlike the prince of Egypt, again, you're going to learn a lot of bad Bible lessons from good movies. But it says that, that Pharaoh was angry. I mean, it's not like, hey, Moses, we love you, man. Hang out here. It's like, I'm going to kill that guy because now he's fighting for the Jewish people. That is the attitude. And Moses flees. He goes to a place called Midian, and interestingly enough, the Midianites, the people who lived there, were actually from the Jewish line originally. They broke off at some point, and Moses is hanging out, probably thinking, man, my life used to be pretty good, and now I have no idea what to do, and he's sitting there by a well. And all of a sudden, a bunch of girls walk up. Things look up for Moses all of a sudden bunch of sisters hanging out and Moses is like this is awesome and they're trying to get water for their flocks and some shepherds come up and they prevent these women from for getting water for their animals and Moses sees an opportunity as all men will do Moses probably was a pretty cool guy back in Egypt and he's like I I like that one right there and so what Moses does is he goes and he says hey shepherd boys You can't do that in front of these ladies. It's a little southern hospitality. I just got back from the south. And he pushes away the shepherds. And then he takes the extra step. Men, pay attention to the story of Moses. He even gets the water for these women. And he waters all of their animals. And the plan doesn't work. The sisters run off. They go home. And Moses is sitting by the well still. But thankfully, there's another man at home. It's the girl's dad. And the girl's dad says, what happened? You got home early today. And they say, well, there was a guy. He beat up the shepherds. And I, That's not accurate. I don't know that he beat up the shepherds. Now I'm like the Prince of Egypt creators. Uh, he, he, he got us the water and he helped us out. And, and so here we are. And the dad says, well, go and get the guy. Bring him back for dinner. Moses comes back for dinner. And the story goes like this. He comes back for dinner and then he married one of the daughters and then had a baby. Uh, It's like a sped up version of kind of the average life, right? And uh, I think it probably took some years. I'm going to guess that it wasn't like, hey, 
you're really nice and you eat very politely. Would you like my daughter? And then somehow they had a baby in a day. I think that over time this kind of progressed, right? And so Moses is really locked in in Midian. And the next thing we hear about him is that he's up on Mount Horeb, the mountain of God, as the Bible tells us. And he's hanging out with his sheep. Apparently he's become a shepherd. And all of a sudden he looks over and he sees a bush that's on fire. But the bush is not burning up. And so Moses turns to investigate. But then we hear this, Moses, Moses, here I am. And then God says to him, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face. God continued, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Moses, big stud, you know, he parted the Red Sea. He says, yeah, I could do that. I'm the perfect guy for the job. Nope, false. Read the Bible again. Here's what Moses says. He says, who am I that you should send me? And here's what God says. I will be with you. After a little bit more instruction, this is what Moses says next. He says, what if they do not believe me or listen to what I say? The Lord appeared to you. And then God shows Moses two signs. I would have been convinced of anything, I think, at this point. But he says, hey, throw down your staff. Moses throws down his staff and it becomes a snake. And I think it's a really funny line. I don't know. Sometimes I'm just entertained by the Bible. But it, it includes the note that Moses ran away from the snake. It's a very real snake, right? It's not like that might be a snake. He takes off running. And then God says, hey, pick it up. And he picks it up and it becomes a staff again. And then he says, put your hand into your cloak. And Moses does. He says, pull it out. And then it has leprosy all over it. I'm sure Moses would have ran from that if he could. God says, put it back. And Moses puts his hand back. And his hand is restored to normal. So Moses, you think, big mighty hero, the guy that everybody should be looking up to, you'd think at that point he would say, awesome, let's do this. I'll go beat up the Egyptians right now. We'll get the Jews out of there. It'll just be this quick process. No, this is what he says. Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech. And then God responds with something really awesome that I think is so important for us as we consider what God wants us to do and, and what I'll say kind of the end of this sermon. But he says, who gave human beings their mouth? Then Moses says, pardon your servant, Lord. And this is just straightforward. Please send somebody else. You forgot that, didn't you? I mean, that doesn't get really recorded in kind of how we tell the story or the history. And when we study it as little kids in Sunday school, we leave that part out because Moses is a hero. But Moses says, look, my excuses have run out. And so here it is, God. I'm sorry about this, but can you just take somebody else and make them do it? And at this, the Bible tells us, God got really, really angry. But he says to Moses, he says, hey, I'll I'll have your brother come meet you and I'll make your brother your mouthpiece. And this seems like a good plan to Moses. 
Then there's this really interesting story that I don't even really want to go into. But Moses starts to walk towards Egypt, says goodbye to his father-in-law, starts to walk towards Egypt. And then the Bible tells us that out of nowhere, God wants to kill him. Says that, that in order to save his life, his wife circumcises their youngest son, looks at her, her husband, says, you are a servant of bloodshed. And then the story kind of ends and Moses keeps walking. I don't know. Moses continues to walk. He meets Aaron out in the wilderness. They come into town. They tell the Jewish people. They say, hey, this is what is taking place. God spoke to Moses in a burning bush and everything's going to be okay. God's going to lead us out of this place. The, Egyptian, or the Jewish people, the leaders say, cool. They see the signs. They believe that it's going to happen. They're excited. And then Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh. And they say, hey. This is what needs to happen. God has told us that we need to go a three-day journey into the wilderness in order to worship God in a special way, make some sacrifices to him there. Pharaoh, I can just he just laughs, basically. I mean, that's my paraphrase. He laughs at him. He says, I don't know anything about your God, and I'm Pharaoh, and so no. And then he says, and this is where it gets really bad for Moses and Aaron right at the beginning. He says here, your people are lazy. That's the problem. You want a three-day journey because you want a vacation for your people. And so here's what we're going to do. Instead of your little three-day journey, how about we make it so that the slaves, the Jews, they don't get any straw in order to build their bricks and in order to build the things that we've asked them to build. Instead, they're going to have to go and get the straw for themselves. You lazy people, don't ever come in front of me again. And so... Pharaoh goes to the slave drivers and says, here's the deal. They don't get straw anymore. They can find straw on their own. Make them do just as much as before. Make the quota the same, but don't give them any help. That's what the slave drivers do, and the Jews are going all over the country looking for straw. They can't find enough straw, and they're trying to meet their daily quota. And the leaders, there's foremen, in essence, for the Jews. They're getting beat by the slave drivers because the people aren't meeting their quota. And they say, "This we can't do it. And so they go directly to Pharaoh and they say, hey, Pharaoh, there's no way. I mean, we can't get the straw and get the job done every single day. It's not physically impossible. And he says, I don't care about what's physically impossible. Do it. The Bible tells us that the Jewish leaders knew that they were in trouble because they weren't getting the straw that they needed. And so what do they do? They complain to Moses. They say, Moses... Good plan, buddy. Thanks for coming back. I was I really appreciate you getting us beat up all the time. That's awesome. And Moses turns to God. In another moment that seemingly lacks faith, he looks at God and he says, Why'd you do this? I mean, what was the point of this? And then they go back after some reassuring from God. I mean, God just makes more promises. He says, look, I'm going to bring you out. I'm going, to, I'm going to live up to the expectation that I set for myself when I spoke to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will make this happen. Just reassures Moses. And Moses goes back to the people and says, hey, God reassured me. And they say, shut up. That's, I mean, that's the story. I just, we don't want to hear it. You already got us in trouble once. Please don't ever talk to us again. What are you doing? Moses and Aaron go back to Pharaoh. And this is where the story starts to really just pick up in the action. They go back to Pharaoh and, and they, they say, look, let the people go. 
God wants us to go out and sacrifice. And Pharaoh says no. And, and so they, they do the, the snake trick. I mean, they throw the staff on the ground and, and it turns into a snake. And I could picture Aaron and Moses like, yeah. Like, what now? We're going to leave. We'll see you later. And Pharaoh says, my magicians can do that. And so the, the Egyptian mus- uh, magicians, not musicians, they, throw, they, they do the same thing. They turn staffs into snakes. And then, this is the really cool part, and this would have been it. If I was Pharaoh, I would have let anybody go. Uh, the, the Israelite snakes at this point, the staff, eats up the Egyptian snake. That would have been it for me. I'm like, yeah, that's weird and sick, and I, go ahead, take your journey. We'll be here when you come back. But Pharaoh hardens his heart. He doesn't let them go. Next, they say, hey, let our people go. God says, hey, meet him down, uh, meet Pharaoh when he's down at the water. And so they do, and, and this is the plan. Uh, Aaron puts his staff down into the water, into the Nile River. Big deal, it's like the Willamette, but more important. And, and it all turns into blood, so that all the fish are dying. And, and it starts to stink all over Egypt. And, and the people literally are having to dig and create new wells in order to find water that's underground. And then, and I don't know what this looks like or how this went, the magicians of Egypt do the same thing. Big deal. And they say, let my people go, but Pharaoh hardens his heart. I'm sure he had people getting water for him, so he was okay with it. And they come again, and they say, hey, Pharaoh, let the people go. If you don't, then there's going to be a lot of frogs that come upon Egypt. And the frogs come. There's frogs everywhere. And, the, and this is the stupidest part for the whole magicians. This is like their low point in all of life. They do the same thing. I mean, note to self, if you have a frog problem, don't make more. Like, that's just, that's for me, that would be the simple, like, I would, the magician should have killed frogs, right? But, but they don't. They make more frogs. Frogs are everywhere. And I'm sure Pharaoh's doing good until all of a sudden there's a frog on his pillow at night. And he's like, I don't, I, get rid of him. And the magician's like, we can't get rid of him. We can only add to it. I mean, it's just magic. It's just sleight of hand. I mean, come on. And, and so he comes to, the, to the, uh, Moses and Aaron. He says, hey, I'll let your people go. Just take away the frogs. Moses says, when do you want it to happen? He says, tomorrow. So the next day, Moses prays and the frogs go away. And, Mo- and Pharaoh hardens his heart. And he does not let the people go. And then we see that God tells Aaron to stretch out his staff. And Aaron stretches out his staff, and gnats come all over the land. I mean, that's gross, right? I mean, gnats come everywhere, and the magicians try to duplicate it. They say, and it doesn't work. There's nothing happening. And so they go to Pharaoh. There's a forgotten part of this story, too, even if you've heard it a million times. They go to Pharaoh, and they say, King Sir Man, this is the hand of God. Let them go on their journey. The Bible says that Pharaoh hardened his heart would not let the people go. And then God tells them to say to Pharaoh, let my people go. And he warns them that flies will come all over so that the ground will be so covered that you can't even see it anymore. Pharaoh refuses. And so the flies come. And then Pharaoh says, hey, you can go. Just don't go too far. Moses is like, hey, we need to leave because your people will kill us. Literally will kill us if we make these sacrifices within the city. Pharaoh hardens his heart and does not let the people go. And then God tells Moses and Aaron to tell Pharaoh to let the people go. And if he doesn't, then he will send uh, uh, 
some type of plague that, that causes livestock and animals to die. And the livestock and animals die, and Pharaoh does not let the people go. And then he tells Moses and Aaron, throw dust in the earth so that it will turn into boils all over the people. This one would have had me. I would have, I would, you could have done anything. I would have given you the kingdom. And boils come all over the people. And God warns Pharaoh through Moses and Aaron again that there will be more plagues. And Exodus 9.16 says this, But I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show my power and my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. And then God promises hail. And he says there will be a hailstorm so big and so strong that it will kill all the livestock and all the slaves who are actually in the field still. And God sends hail, and it starts to kill people. And, Mo, and Pharaoh decides to let the people go, but he wants to know how many people will go. And they say, everybody. And he says, yeah, not on your life. Not everybody's going. You can have your men go make sacrifices, but not everybody is going. He doesn't let the people go. And then God sends locusts all across the land. Moses says, hey, you've got to let the people go. And again, Pharaoh hardens his heart and does not let the people go. And then God sends darkness over all the land. Pharaoh gets super angry at Moses. Again saying, I'll let him go. Just leave your livestock. And Moses says, not happening. We're going to go and we're going to take our livestock because we don't know how many we'll need when we get out there to make sacrifices. Pharaoh says, no, you're not going to go. He says, never come into my presence ever, ever again. Moses says, okay, I won't. But before I go, this is what the Lord says. About midnight, I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die. From the firstborn son of Pharaoh, who sits on the throne, to the firstborn son of the female slave, who is at her handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any person or animal. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these officials of yours will come to me, bowing down before me and saying, Go, you and all of your people who follow you. After that, I will leave. Then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. Now, what's really interesting, what happens next, it's this this just fascinating moment. God explains to them how to celebrate their exodus. They're still there. They haven't left. And God says, look, I want you to, to, in the future, to have a holiday called the Passover. And what you're going to remember is how I killed all the firstborn in Egypt and set you free. And so we institute the Passover meal. It's like us having Christmas before Jesus is born. It's like some guy named Jesus is going to come. He's going to be the Savior of the world. But before it even happens, I want you to celebrate that day. And he says, this is what you'll do. And he gives them very specific instructions. But the most important part for the Jewish people that day, that night, was this. Whoever has blood over their doorframe will be saved from the angel of God who will come and kill all the firstborn. And whoever does not will not be. So they kill the lambs, they have the meal that God institutes, and they put the blood above their doors. And that night, in really something that is tragic and sad, we see that the people, all the firstborn males in all the lands, are killed. Pharaoh gets up, probably the middle of the night, the officials, all the people, they're like, leave as fast as possible. 
God tells the Jewish people, I think this is just a great little detail. He says, hey, ask your neighbors for, for gold and silver. And so the, the, at this point, I mean, the, the, the Egyptians are like, you have to leave. I, I don't care. You can take my whole entire everything to stop killing my people. And so they give them gold and silver. And the Bible tells us that the Jews plundered the Egyptians. Think about I just think about that. Plunder is what you do after a war, right? After you've conquered. And, and these people, the Jewish people, haven't even fought anybody yet. But just because of the power of God, the Bible tells us, they plundered the Egyptian people. And so they go out, and the Bible tells us in Hebrews eleven twenty seven, By faith he, referring to Moses, left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Then God tells them to go a certain direction because he doesn't want them to face warfare. And then he tells them to camp. And as they're camping, as we just saw, all of a sudden, Pharaoh changes his mind and he sends out his chariots and his horses and his best men. And they begin to chase. A couple of details that I'll fill in from that video. It tells us that the cloud of the Lord that had gone in front of the Jewish people after they had first gone into the wilderness moved to behind them and it provided light for them and darkness for the Egyptians. It also tells us that as the Egyptian chariots rushed into the parted Red Sea that that, uh, that, it, they caught, that God caused confusion for the Egyptian people. And it, he made it so that the chariots would not drive correctly. And so they're going all over the place, wiggling and waggling, and they just can't get to the Jewish people. And then we see in that great, uh, powerful moment that the waves crash in over the Egyptians just as the Jewish people cross to the other side. And Hebrews 11.29 tells us, By faith the people passed through the Red Sea, as on dry ground, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. You look at this story. It's a crazy story. It's an awesome story. But as I read it this week several times and thought about it, thought, what do we learn from Moses? And what I think we learn from Moses is that this story is not about Moses. Moses is not very heroic. I mean, picture yourself picture anybody that god calls something to do and your first response is i really don't think that i'm the guy and your second response is i'm really not good enough to do that and your third response is please just get somebody else and so god has to bring somebody alongside i mean we look at people like that and we say they don't have courage that's not a hero I mean, picture somebody that looks out and they, they see in a war that, that they need to do something in order to save a life. And they say, I don't know if I can get that job done. I don't really want to do it. Hey, you want to go with me? I mean, that's not heroic. And we see throughout the story that Moses is only half of the, half of the work. I mean, Aaron's alongside him and, and Aaron's not doing that much. Really, this story is not about Moses. This story is plain and simply about God. And what it says about God is this. His ultimate aim is always making himself known to all people. Listen to some of the things that come up in the story. Just little details that could easily be skipped over. In six five, chapter 6, verse 5, I have remembered my covenant. This story isn't about how great the people is. It's about God saying, I remember what I promised them. Or how about six six? Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Or 7.5, And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. 
Or how about 8, 22, and 23? So that you will know that I am the Lord. I, the Lord, am in this land. I will make a distinction between my people and your people. Or 9, 14 through 16. So you may know that there is no one like me on earth. For by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and all your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the face of the earth. But I have raised you up for this purpose that I might show you my power and my and that my name might be proclaimed in the earth. You see what God is saying? He's saying, I didn't have to do ten plagues. I didn't have to do any of this. I could have just killed the Egyptians and then sent my people out into the wilderness to become a great kingdom. None of this had to be done. God's saying the reason I did it is so that people could know that I am God. Even the Egyptians who seemingly are getting the the just the bad end of this story, right? Even they are in God's mind and he's trying to show them that he is the God of the universe, the Lord of all. And, and he even wants to show the next generation because in 10 too it says that you may tell your children and grandchildren how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians and how I performed signs among them that you may know that I am the Lord. You see, the Exodus story is not about a guy named Moses. It's about a God named Yahweh who says, look, I'm going to do something so incredible, not because I hate people, not because I'm vengeful, not because I need to in order to get my people free. That's easy for me. I'm going to do something incredible that people will be talking about for thousands and thousands of years because I want people to know that I am the Lord and all other gods are false. Here's the other part of this story that matters. We see two men. We see Pharaoh, who was a flawed man who didn't love God or believe in him. And we see Moses, who was a flawed man that loved God and believed in him. And here's what we learn from this story. You don't need to be great. You don't need to be heroic by nature. You don't need to have something special that feels unobtainable and difficult. There are two things you need in order to do great things for God. Simply this. You need to believe God when he says something. And you need to love God enough to be obedient to him. You see, that's the truth with Moses in this story. Moses doesn't speak well according to himself. He's not the guy for the job. Every time it goes bad, he's like, God, wish you wouldn't have done this. Did you bring us out here to die? I mean, that's the question he asked. Right before that heroic moment that you witnessed from the prince of Egypt, right before he puts the staff down, he's the man, right? He's going, and literally in the Bible, he's like, God, did you bring us out here to kill us? That's not heroic. But that is a man who absolutely believed God and loved God to be obedient to him. And here's what I believe with my heart, and this is what I want you to gather out of this story this morning. I think God is calling each of you to something. I think that, that if, you're, if you're alive, living, breathing, then God is, is calling you to do something. And you have a choice. You can harden your heart like Pharaoh. You can say, well, it seems obvious that there's a God, but whatever, I'm not going to listen to him. I'm not going to love him enough to be obedient. Or you can be like Moses and say, I'm scared. I don't really know what to do. But I believe that God exists. It makes sense for me to be obedient to him. That's going to come in two ways, I think. I mean, there's some people here right now, you're not Christians. And maybe you, you don't know the story. Let me tell you the story. The story is this. Long after Moses, a man named Jesus comes, and he's literally the son of God. 
And, and he came to earth from heaven, the Bible tells us, in order to die on a cross. And you say, well, that's a stupid thing to do. But he did that in order that you could be forgiven for your sins. You see, sin needs to be punished by God always and forever because God is just and we like justice as human beings and God is just and he knew he had to punish sin but he chose to actually allow for his son to take that punishment for your sin and there's some of you here right now you're like Pharaoh you're like well that makes sense I recognize that I'm a sinner I recognize that I need forgiveness I feel guilty a lot about things I've done in my life I don't really feel whole I don't have peace and confidence but eh, that God thing I don't want that and you're rejecting I mean, you may even have people around you who are saying, look, this is the hand of God. I mean, God is speaking to you. He's talking to you. He's telling you that he wants you to come into a relationship with him, to accept that gift and to say, I'm yours, God. And you're saying, eh, no, not going to do it. Just like Pharaoh. And what God wants from you is not for you to be perfect or to be excellent beyond other human beings, but simply to just say, yeah, I'm going to believe God and I'm going to give my life to him because that's what he's asked me to do. And then there's others of you here. That God is called, you're Christians, you're already Christians. You're not really doing anything. And you're probably not doing anything because of excuses like Moses. You're thinking, well, I got too much going on. God's got the wrong, I mean, I don't have time right now. I got things to do and God... It's just, I'm not the guy. You know, somebody else is probably the guy. Somebody else could do that better than me. But me, I don't want a part of that. And then, and then if God says, well, I think you are the guy and you really hear that and you know that, maybe you haven't got that far, but, but you kind of have an idea, like, I think I'm the, I'm the person for that job. Uh, and, and then you go like this, you're like, well, I'm not good enough. I mean, I, I don't have the skills to do whatever that thing is. So, hey, God, like, Okay, maybe you want me to do it, but if you really knew me and my inabilities, my inadequacies, then you wouldn't be calling me to do that. And then maybe some of you, you've gone through those excuses and the excuses are at their end and you're out of them and you still know God. You haven't been able to talk God out of it and you're still like, I really don't want to be that person. And you're just at a point right now where you're just saying, hey, God, send somebody else. Not me. Send somebody else. I don't want it. I don't want that job. I want something else. And what we see in the story of Moses, that makes God really, really angry. And what we also see in the story of Moses is that you can't be great. And that's what this series is about. I want you to live a great life. And at the end of the day, you have to be willing to live a great life. Not because you're awesome. Not because you're special beyond anybody else that God has created and, and brought into his kingdom. But, but because you're just willing and obedient to do what God asks you to do. That could be just a lot of things. I don't know what it is for you. I mean, maybe God has put it on your heart to, to invite somebody to church. And you've gone through the process. You're like, God, just make somebody else do it, right? You've definitely done that. I know you've done that. You've thought, I should invite that person to church, and then you're like, no, somebody else can do that. Uh, and, and then and then you're like, you still feel it. And if you're a Christian, you kind of know, you know the feeling, like, oh, God really wants me to do that. And it's somewhere inside you. I can't explain it, but you know it. And, and you've come to this point like, I don't know how to do it. I'm going to say something super stupid, and then they're not going to want to come to church anymore. And then you still, and then you went, okay, good. God will listen to that. He's smart. And, and then you just kept living and, and you still felt it inside of you. And at this point right now, you're just saying, I'm not going to invite him. Make somebody else do it, God. I'm not doing it. That makes God super angry. 
super angry. Maybe some of you, it's, it's a financial thing. And, and, and you, you know that you should be supporting our church. And, and, and you've gone through the excuses. You're like, there's other people with more money in my church right now. Call them up, God. They make good money. Um, right? Like God hasn't seen the bank statements. And, and, then, and then you still feel like I should give some more money. And, and then you get to a point, you're like, but God, like... But you've seen my bank statements too, and it's not going so well right now. And it's not my fault. I just, you know, we haven't got the hours at work or whatever. And, and, and so then you think, good. I told God about the financial situation. And then you wake up the next day and you still feel it. And you're at a point right now where you're just like, I'm not going to support the church because do, have somebody else do it, God. I'm just not going to. That makes God super angry. Makes God super angry. He'll work things out anyway. Or maybe it's serving, and, you're, and God's like called you to do something, and it's too big for you. And you're like, really, God? That's not my thing. I like, like maybe God has called you to like help, let's just say, mentally handicapped people, because somebody mentioned that, that somebody's doing that, that we're connected to here in this church. And, and you're like, ah, I don't think I'm, I'm the person. And then, and then you make the next excuse. You're like, no, I don't really know how to do that. I don't have any skills or any training. And, and, then, you, and then you just right now, you're in a place where you're just saying no to God. That makes God really angry. And so here, here's what I want from this sermon. If you're not a Christian, I want you to just open yourself up and ask, is God calling me to do this? Am I making excuses? Are my excuses like, well, that's just not who I am, or my friends don't do that, or whatever? And ask yourself if that's where you're at, and if you're hardening your heart. And hopefully today, God will soften your heart. And if you are a Christian, especially if you're part of this church, I want you just to just pause right here. You don't have to sing along with the next songs. I give you permission. Brandon might get upset about that. But uh, just pause and say, what is God calling me to do? Then ask yourself if you've been making excuses. And here's, here's, can I just, uh, I, I don't know this. I just turned 30. I knew that. Um, and it's really, I become very introspective at every birthday, and 30's really messed with me. And, and kind of what I've found, and this is maybe directed to the, the older people, not old, older people in our congregation, but, but what I've kind of found is that, like, between 20 and 30, you're super excited about doing something for God or in life, you know, and then you hit 30 and you're like, and then really the excuses are easier to find. Like I have kids now and I have a job now and it's a real job with the, you know, and I, and, and I have a house and, and so I can't, I can't be as obedient. And, and sometimes the just older people, uh, I just feel like, like Moses was probably not young. He wasn't in fact, I mean, he turns 80 in the middle of the story. And there he was thinking, I'm just a shepherd. I'm not the guy for this. And God says, I want you. And Moses decides after God gets super angry just to simply be obedient to what God is asking him to do. And Moses is a hero for it. Not because he's great or awesome or didn't have a mortgage or didn't have sheep to take care of in his or a wife or children or, or, or all the excuses that you want to make or because he was eloquent or because he was better than any of us or because he had things figured out in a way that allowed for him to be great or because he had tons of courage or this like metaphysical, magical faith. No, he simply said, okay, God, I do believe in you. I will go. Maybe a bush is not burning in front of you, but I think somewhere inside of you, God's spirit is burning in each of you to do something great for the Lord. I really believe that. And what I'm asking this morning is that you put down the excuses, stop making God angry, 
You start to do what God has called you to do. Will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for what you did through Moses. I thank you that you don't that you didn't in your in your whole Bible do revisionist history where where it just makes it look like the heroes of old, the stories of old were all by people who were perfect. But uh, Lord, I I can identify with Moses so well, Lord. I, I mean, no, I know just so many situations. It's not just like one big life thing, Lord, but there's so many situations, God, where I kind of go through that process. It's feeling like it's not for me trying to feel like it's not for me, talking about why I can't do it, and eventually just shutting you off and not listening to you, Lord. And God, I wonder if Moses would have walked away from that burning bush, how that story would have ended. And uh, I pray that none of us would walk away from the burning that is in our souls. And, and, and Lord, there's people here, there's people listening, God, who don't know you as their Savior. And and Lord, maybe the gospel has made sense to them and they can feel you. Maybe they can even feel you in these moments like saying, hey, just go talk to somebody about being a Christian. And, and they're just ignoring it and fighting it. And I pray that they'd stop. Lord, I, I just want to see them know you as their Savior and love you and live for you. It's the only way we can live an eternally great life. And then, and God, I know there's people in this church that that you're calling to more stuff. That you are, that you're calling to just do something. Maybe something more. Maybe something great. And Lord, they're just fighting it. They probably know what I'm talking about right now, and they're fighting it even now, Lord. And I pray they just put aside the excuses. Lord, your kingdom expands as sinful fallen humans like Moses decide to listen to you and I want to see your kingdom expanded in this community Lord and so I pray that that people here would listen to you Lord and God I believe there's things that our church should be doing that we're not because people haven't stepped up to the plate to do what you've asked them to do because people haven't given the money to make it happen, because people haven't prayed for it, because people haven't encouraged when you've called to encourage those who are doing it. And I pray that that would change. Lord, I don't know what you would have done with your people. I'm sure you would have sent somebody else and we wouldn't be talking about Moses. But Lord, I can't speak for everybody here, but I want to be the guy. I don't want somebody else to take my place, to step up and do what you've called me to do, Lord. And I hope that the people who sit in front of me now in this church, they don't want that either, but they want to live great lives for you. Lord, Christians love to think about you saying to us, Lord, when it's all over, well done, my good and faithful servant. But God, a lot of them want to make excuses not to be the servants you've called them to be. And I pray you change that so that when we get to heaven someday, God, we we know that we did what you asked us to do. That's all it is, Lord. And I pray you just, you convince everybody here this morning or they'd open themselves up to be convinced that that really it's it's not about being some superhuman thing aside from the spiritual gifts that you've given us. It's simply about saying, I'll do what God asked me to do. Let us do it, Lord. Let us do it as a church. Let our individuals do it, Lord. We pray, I pray, God, that that the people who sit in front of me would not be 
people who kind of get through life, as Matt said last week, being known as different because they show up to church on Sunday, but they'd be known as different because you've used them to absolutely change the world. Make our vision bigger. Make the vision for people's lives bigger. But let them think less like somebody who just goes through the motions and kind of hangs on to being a Christian and, and more like somebody like Moses that you used to free people from persecution and from sin and from hurt and from suffering, Lord. Love you, Jesus. Thank you for giving all of us purpose and meaning and for calling us and for showing us what you want us to do. Now help us to be obedient to it. In your name, amen. Thank you.